everyone. Welcome to Pink Shade with Aaron Martin, the podcast where we talk about all the shows we're addicted to, plus the reality stars we love, even when we're giving them the side eye. I also, as you know, love to talk about the occasional cult. Today's podcast features the amazing Kate Casey, who joins me to have a long conversation about Scientology. It's something I haven't really touched on yet, but uh, we just had to chat about it because she is just as interested in me in the disappearance of Shelley Miscavige. That is the wife of David Miscavige, the leader of the cult of Scientology, the sociopath we have come to know and not really love. Kate and I deep dive on a Vanity Fair special that aired just this past month on Shelley's disappearance, and we talk about our theories. We also get into some fun other shows, so it's not all heavy, and we also talk about our personal connection because, believe it or not, we do have one, even though we live states away now. I think we were maybe cosmically meant to talk about reality TV together as adults, and you'll find out why. So without further ado, let's get to the deep dive on Scientology with Kate Casey. Well, I am here with the amazing Kate Casey from Reality Life with Kate Casey, and we have never talked in person before today, but I feel like I already know her because not only do we both go on the Jenny McCarthy show every week, Kate covers The Bachelor with Jenny and I cover Housewives, but I've been listening to her podcast for so long and laughing hysterically at it. And get this, you guys, we went to high school one town away from each other in South Central Pennsylvania, a place that we no longer live, but we remember just how it was the shit town. <laughs> so Kate, thank you for doing this today. Welcome to the podcast. A place we no longer live and no longer want to visit. Yes. No longer want to visit. <laughs> and where my 25 year high school reunion is coming up and we don't even have enough organization to make it happen, which is fine with me. Well, I just, like I always say, there's no point to going to a high school reunion in the, in the age of Facebook. I mean, you know that Bobby McGee got fat. He's married to a woman named Loretta. They have four, unfortunately, named kids. One right. of them works at Arby's. Why are you going to subject yourself to that so you feel great about the fact that you look really attractive now? Eh, takes you only that'll, – that'll be good for 20 minutes. Yeah, for 20 minutes, and then you're going to go try to go to your old haunts, and they've all been torn down, and you're going to go to the local Hampton Inn and remember that you don't like Scrapple. First of all, I love Scrapple. Isn't that sick? No, you do not. I do. Aren't you like the pickiest eater in the world? How can you even handle the idea of Scrapple? Explain what Scrapple is. Well, I haven't had Scrapple in a long time, but I can tell you I I, I miss it dearly. So basically, it's everything that's left over from the pig mixed in with cornmeal and fried. And I would eat it with ketchup (laughs) as a kid. And I have friends that are like, you are absolutely disgusting. I, I think it was like a taste of hangover food before I was at the age where you would start drinking. It's just the most delicious, greasy food in the world. I just think, I think that was when I realized I really like corn, which is why I now obsess over fish tacos. <laughs> that is amazing. From Scrapple to fish tacos. That was, you've just written the title of your memoir. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I like Scrapple. My, my friend Dan Murray used to always say, what are you going to get it like a scrapple shake, you sicko? But I swear I just liked it. You guys out there who have never eaten scrapple, it it truly is an acquired taste. I'm, You know what? Good for you for eating it. I could not. I could not. My parents tried to make me. It's almost like if bacon were unhealthy. That's what scrapple is. Yeah. It is the absolute. Good. You know what? Even a step down from that, have you ever heard of souse? No, what's that? That's a step down from scrapple. That's getting really Amish. That's getting real, well, I do, real Amish. I, do, I did like Amish food as a kid. My mom used to get shoe fly pie. Yeah, that was kind of gross, I remember. But I remember having to eat it. I'm not a pie person. But anyway. Yeah, I, I actually am not a pie person either. I find it pointless. It's like a lot of crust. I don't enjoy a lot of crust. It's crust lot, is disgusting. Exactly. I like filling. All right. Well, we'll move on from Scrapple and Souse and all the good Amish food or the gross Amish food. And we are here to talk about something that I've been obsessed with for many years, and maybe you have too, and that's the disappearance of Shelley Miscavige. Because there was a really interesting 
special on just in this past couple of weeks on the ID channel. It was called Vanity Fair Confidential Scientology's Vanished Queen. And it was, I thought it was going to be mostly about the disappearance of Shelley Miscavige, but it was also about another case that happened with a woman who was in Scientology for years. Her name is Lisa McPherson, and it was about her untimely and very suspicious death that happened while she was in the care, I say care with air quotes, of Scientology, but she was unraveling mentally. So before we go into what our theories on, uh, or what our theories are on Shelley's disappearance, I'm just going to give a little bit of background on what the situation is here. Basically, Shelley Miscavige disappeared in 2005, but uh, technically, I guess she hasn't been seen since 2007. So that's the date we're going with, even though she truly disappeared 2005-ish. Just after she took it upon herself to complete these outstanding tasks in the Scientology organization relating to restructuring this group called Sea Org, which anyone who's read anything about Scientology knows that is like the batshit craziest organization within the organization. David Miscavige is Shelley's husband. He is, by all reports, a sociopath, and he is still at the helm of this cult. Her disappearance following this restructuring was said to be on the heels of her telling David about this, and he was not happy about what she had done. Nobody knows exactly what she has done because she didn't, none of her work became public. But at her father's funeral, a friend who had been declared a suppressive person, which is SP, what they declare people, like Nicole Kidman, for instance, who say anything bad about Scientology or want to leave the church. This friend was declared an SP and came up to Shelley at her father's funeral and asked her for help. And Shelley told her, I made a mistake. I'm on the outs. I can't help you. And so that was a clue that she was maybe going to go away quietly, which is exactly what happened. And then Mike Rinder, who used to be on the inside pretty high up in Scientology and has appeared several times in documentaries and is in Leah Rabini's Scientology in the aftermath, he says that she found out what she, he found out what Shelley had done with this reorganization project, and she took him aside and said, "I'm going to be in huge trouble for this." And he knew right away. He said, "Quote: I knew she was in deep shit." Okay, so then vanish. She's gone. It's eleven years later. So if we're going to say 2007 is the last time she was seen, a missing persons report was filed in 2013, about eight years technically after she was last seen. Two people filed the report with the Los Angeles Police Department. One of them was Lawrence Wright, the Pulitzer Prize winning journalist and going clear author. The other was Leah Remini. Remini. I always say that wrong. She has been very public about why she thinks Shelley Miscavige is either being locked up somewhere or she's been disappeared or, God forbid, killed. And so she filed a report. The LAPD came back saying that the missing persons report was unfounded. They closed the case, claiming one of its detectives interviewed Mr. Miscavige, so David, and personally cited Shelley. Now, this was in 2013. However, that officer who claimed this was never named in the paperwork, and the location where he allegedly saw Shelley was never disclosed. And that led to accusations of corruption and cover-up, because it's well known that the Church of Scientology, and especially the Celebrity Center, holds regular yearly fundraisers for the LAPD, which I was shocked to learn. So, okay, that's a lot of backstory. Kate, what are your thoughts? Well, first of all, I've, two, I've had two forays with the Church of Scientology, and here they go. Okay. One, uh, when I was a senior in high school, my mom, who befriends everybody in the world, I had a conversation with a lady at the telephone company, and I shit you not. And she said, I met this woman over the phone. She seems really nice. She's got a son that we would like to set you up on a blind date. And he's involved with a charity that helps uh, with adult literacy. I, at the time, was applying to schools and thought, if I do some volunteer work, someone might think I'm a really good person and let me into their school. So I go take the train into Philadelphia, and I end up at the Church of Scientology. My mom didn't ask enough questions. 
I would have gotten to the bottom of this in about 10 minutes, but ding dong did not. So I show up at the church of Scientology and the, this woman's son gives me a tour. It is a row house in Philadelphia. Okay. I, these are the things that I saw on the tour. Um, a room with desks where I believe the personality test is taken. I went up to this office that had a beautiful desk, a large office for the row house, papers all over the table. Um, Remember, I'm quite young. So I said to the people giving me the tour, um, they said, this is L. Ron's office. I asked how often he comes to the Philadelphia office, and they said, he's been dead for years. (laughs) And I thought, you assholes have a bunch of people working in cubicles downstairs, but you've got this large empty office for somebody who hasn't been on the planet. Then we went downstairs and we passed this room. There was like a jacuzzi in it and like what appeared to be like a shower with one of those um, like uh, frosty windows. Before you get hosed off. And I'm guessing because it was, I was incredibly pale. They said, just so you know, if you ever, ever, ever had a sunburn, you can go into the jacuzzi and you can rid your body of all the toxins and, re- and re- heal your skin. Oh, my God. I was like, okay, even that sounds like the dumbest answer I've ever heard. So um, then they wanted me to take a personality test. Oh, no, before that, they took me to lunch. I went to a diner and they asked me what I was going to study in college. And I said, I'm, I intend on studying political science. I'd love to run for office one day. Because, you know, when you're like a senior in high school, you say stupid shit like that and people believe you. Or not that they believe you, but they're like, oh, how sweet. She wants to change the world. And then you go to college and you realize nothing's going to change. So anyway, their reaction was a little bit suspect. There was a a man sitting across from me and he looked at the others and he said, what we really need are Scientologists as politicians. I never forgot that. It, It gave me, you know, chills to the core. And so they tried to get me to take a personality test. I sat down. I saw like two questions. I remember one was like, have you ever thought about beating someone up or something like being violent against somebody? And I just thought, I don't have time for this shit. So I said, I got to get back to the train to get back home. And I left later on. My mom said, you should really go on a date with that guy. So we went to see the movie Outbreak, which was a horrible movie at the movie theater. I saw that. Drove him home in my shitty car, which had like, barely was able to get to the movie theater. We parked in the driveway of his, uh, his house. And he said, I asked him, are you planning on going to college? And he said, I'm going to move to Clearwater and go to this school called flag. And now I realized he was basically going into the sea org. I never heard from him again, but I did get mail and still continue to get mail from the Philadelphia headquarters which i find hysterical since i haven't lived in the philadelphia area for god knows how many years so the other experience is that my friend who's an interior designer is a moron and said oh i i'm working on a new house in your neighborhood people are uh really kind of fun but secretive they've got a daughter that's at a boarding school in um in oregon and and it starts with a D. I said, is it Delphi? And she said, yeah, that sounds right. I said, they're Scientologists. She said, how do you know? I said, just do some research. So I told her, are there any books in the house? And she reported back to me that the only books in the house were manuals, which look like instructional manuals. I said, they're a bunch of Scientologists. So they're renting. Apparently they live in my neighborhood. I've never seen them. I've taking the kids on plenty of walks just to spy the situation. Cause if you have kids with you, they're usually nice to you. Like, exactly. and then I could start a conversation with them. Like, so how long have you believed in Dinu? But it, I have never actually had a conversation because I've never seen them outside. So I had the experience as a, a kid in Philadelphia. And now one of my neighbors is a Scientologist. And you still have never seen these neighbors outside to this day. No, but I have looked at the woman's Instagram. Okay. Here's another thing. Oh my God. Again, the interior decorator is not the smartest person in the world. She said, oh, they're making a ton of money. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, he's a movie producer. So I looked up his IMDb and he's only made Scientology videos. Oh and she runs this like uh, internet marketing practice where, for chiropractors. And she makes, she told me she's making about $50,000, maybe like every two weeks. And then I thought, there's something else going. I feel like there's money laundering going on. It's a little bit suspect. I don't know all the details. I don't want to have somebody electrocute me while I'm sleeping. I don't want to be followed by white bands. 
That oh, is one wild. other. Oh, I just forgot one other thing. My friend helped write the tell-all on Tom Cruise by Andrew Morton. This is going back like twelve years. Mm-hmm. So she was doing a lot of the interviews with people about Katie Holmes when she's with him, and she had her phone tapped. She did, <laughs> and she and she did say that white fans did follow her for like four months. I have a question: If you were the Scientologist um, expert on following people, would you not buy something besides a white van at this point? I would say so because it's either you're a Scientologist or a pedophile. So you can't go, there's no good way to go. I don't think a van is necessary in any way, but I would definitely agree with you about the white van. (laughs) The white vans. It cracks me up when I watch Scientology in the aftermath, Leah's amazing A&E special. I mean, they always are saying, oh, look, there's a white van. Look, there's a white van. It's like, yo, Scientologists, we know you're in the white vans. And you know that you have those people working like crazy hours to like soup up those vans. Actually, I think the people that are like the detectives probably have, you know, sort of like carpeting in the back and like a a bag of chips. They get, they get dog, they're treated like dog meat. But I feel like if David Miscavige was driving a van, which of course he wouldn't, that would have been souped up. Because remember they had the Sea Org people do David and Tom Cruise's car. It was just like the rims and I swear there's like speakers and, televisions and stuff inside and then they would pay them in marbles yeah this the sea org is basically the true slave labor of the whole organization right i mean oh they're, ch- oh, I forgot they're one child more thing. labor too oh definitely one more thing okay. i went to the scientology in uh, headquarters in la because somebody told me they have a really good brunch program no. <laughs> so, so i went on a field trip and i noticed that the people that work there wear terrible khaki they were wearing terribly pleated khakis which was not flattering for any body shape and when you I parked and they were writing down my license plate everybody was staring at me I went in and I had you know what I gotta tell you it was like a subpar brunch it wasn't that great but I did suspect the entire time I was eating that the conversation was being listened to so I dropped some really interesting information about um like 80 sitcoms stuff that like you know, normal people would enjoy, but I didn't, I I felt like if they were trying to figure me out, they weren't really getting much. If I was talking about like old episodes of Benson and, you know, our house, (laughs) you didn't wax poetic about your, your theories on how you're a thetan or you want to move up the bridge. Yeah. I don't think they were like, well, she's perfect for our church because she's definitely dealing with some emotional baggage, uh, connected to her childhood. They just were like, she spends a lot of time watching television. Right. I will tell you as a child who was born into a cult and whose parents left when I was four. So I have my parents experience mostly to rely on. If you would have started crying at that brunch, they would have been all over you. So if you want to be recruited by a cult, go to where they live and cry. That will get them to come over to you right away. They'll help you out. They'll recruit you. Okay. That's that's if you're looking for it. So if I ever come to L.A. or if I ever come out by you to Newport Beach, we're going to do a little field trip and we're going to go to brunch at that Scientology Center. That's a goal. Well, now. I feel like after this episode comes out, we might be on a most wanted list. <laughs> if if I get a white van following me in the middle of Nowheresville, Wisconsin, I will have arrived. I mean, I'm going to Instagram <laughs> that shit faster than you can say Zenu. I'm go- that's going to be the big day. If you do they- get- they would have they to come have a, far to get me, though. You, you're, you're easy pickings. They must have an office in Madison. Oh, I bet they do. Actually, you know, we have we we're well represented with cults and bachelors, as you as you know, Peter's oh, yeah. here. Yeah. So okay, so my my I'll tell you my connections with Scientology. When I met my husband, he um he was in law school here in Madison when I was an undergrad, and we never met that whole time. We would we would have never met had we not ended up working at the same software company together because we are completely different human beings. I went to his apartment after you know a few dates in. I met his roommate, and I look on a shelf, and he has got all of his law books lined up. Great, fine normal par for the course underneath that an entire shelf i'm talking 24 books of hardback l ron hubbard writing 
This is my husband who I'm still with 20 years later, by the way. So he's not, oh, a I could see why. he's not a Scientologist, but I was like, um, I knew enough about cults at that point that I was like, and tell me about this shelf. And he's like, it's really good science fiction. And I'm like, and why do you have the hardbacks bound in leather? And he, and he told me it was through some mail special. And I'm like, okay, fine. You're just a weirdo, but you're not a cult member. And then the other connection I have is that he has worn those pleated khakis for way too long. And I threw a bunch of them out last year. So those are my only yeah. two connections. But yeah, we still have those L. Ron Hubbard books. And I actually display them prominently and they still are in my dining room just to freak people out. <laughs> They're like the That's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> They're the first thing you see when you walk in the house and you look right. So I'll take a selfie in front of them later just to show you guys. They're truly part of the decor. Um, okay, so let's talk about Shelly. We talked a little bit online about our, just our quick theories. What do you think has happened to this woman? I think she's still alive because it's too risky. I think she's too much of an asset um, to him. Uh, first of all, she knows too much. Um, she has too much knowledge of the inner workings of the church and the history of the church. To get rid of her, it's like getting rid of this, um, this like brain. I don't know what the term would be because I'm pregnant. So I'm so stupid right now. But <laughs> I feel like um, she's too much of a lie. She's a liability, but in a way that you need her. You know, it's like it's like the uh, it's like the FBI guy who um, you know he he's a bit of a drinker and he may hit his wife, but then again, he knows about the last cases last forty years. Right. So I think he's in a precarious position. And I do think that he gets off on the fact that he tortures her. If she's gone, he gets that release is gone. And I think he loves that. I, you know, she was sort of Scientology, like her parents were in for a long time, too. Um, and she was sort of like a star of that error. And I think that, um, yeah, I think he loves the control that comes off of it. I, I think he gets off on every person he can control. I don't think I don't think she's dead. I, I feel like they try to keep these people alive as long as they can. I mean, when Lisa McPherson was taken to a hospital, she weighed like 100 pounds. I think that they like to see somebody in that state of torture. Do you think that because they juxtapose these these stories together for this Vanity Fair piece, this Lisa McPherson, who just a quick background on her, she died of a pulmonary embolism in 1995 after extreme dehydration. And she was basically in a state of torture in it locked in a room by the Scientologists who took her out of a mental hospital, which is where she belonged after she had a breakdown of sorts. She was forced to undergo extreme auditing at Flagland base for like what, 17 days or something. They would not take her back to a psychiatric hospital. And so all of this led to her death. And in fact, Scientology was brought up in a lot. They were sued for her death. David Miscavige spent $30 million to fight this suit from her family and eventually won the case was, or, or at least the case settled for an undisclosed sum. But I feel like this special, this Vanity Fair special juxtaposed these two to show maybe what could be happening. Like you think, like she's being tortured, she's being held somewhere or what could have happened to Shelly. Cause here, my theory is my theory is close to yours in that I think he gets off on the torture. Totally agree with that. I think he likes the control, and I'm talking about David Miscavige. And I think that holding someone hostage is really their jam. Like, that's what Scientology likes to do. They've built whole compounds to just hold people fucking hostage. Like, they just love, they love their hostages. So I think that happened, or maybe is still happening, but I go a little bit further in my mind, and I think maybe she accidentally died. So kind of like this, and when I say accidentally, that's a loaded word because it's no accident when someone dies from torture, it's the fault of the torturer. So that's the wrong word. You know, I guess I don't, I don't think she was murdered. I think maybe she had a Lisa McPherson thing happen to her because I feel like wouldn't they just produce a, a I'm going to speak in 19, 1990s language here, a videotape of her or something just to get the world off of their back on this one issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's one issue they could just easily say, you know what? Here she is. Just go away. She's fine. But they're not. Right. I don't understand that. And I don't think anyone necessarily murdered her either. I just wonder if 
some shit went wrong, you know, in her hostage scenario. And I think that this sounds, I think that your theory is, sounds very similar to the, the kid that was in South Korea. Um, his name was Otto Warm, Warmbier. He was a, a, he was a, a kid that was in Korea. They, he went up to the wrong floor of a building, this notorious building. And there was video footage of what looked like him ripping a poster off of a wall, which is like a, a, an offense, a criminal offense in uh, North Korea. So they kept him as a prisoner and the American government tried very hard to get him released. And when they did release him, he was on a stretcher and the parents said that he was basically brain dead. So I think that they tortured him and that's like something went wrong. Like they beat him up too much that he went yeah. brain dead. And so he, I mean, they released him and I think he only lived like a couple more weeks and then he finally died. So something like that could have happened with Shelly too, don't you think? Or I mean, am I just having a wild theory that she's dead because that's the most wild theory? I don't know. I mean, it's possible, but I think that Shelly, they don't need to worry about her escaping because she is so, she was raised in this. Yep. And, you know, you've touched on this on my podcast that people who are raised in this, they don't know any different. Mm-hmm. Her entire life has been based around this church. Her brainwashing is so severe. I just think she's so, I think that they also convince these people that, you know, that they they're going to ruin mankind. Like that's something that really disturbs me about what all of these people interviewed keep on saying is, you know, we believe that we were going to save mankind. I just like that. That phrase is sounds bananas to me. Like to anybody to say that to anyone, like, well, you know, if you do this, you're going to be helping mankind. It's like, what? Yeah, I know. Sounds ludicrous. That's the premise of every religion when it comes down to it. You know, you're doing this to because it makes the world a better place or because you're bringing the kingdom of heaven. I mean, if we're really going to get into that, it's like, it's just a more, it's a, it's a more extreme version of it because they, this clearing the planet thing is very much like other religions is about saving the world, you know, or saving mankind. It's like, I can't, I can like barely take care of my own kids. No shit. Why am I responsible for mankind? Like what? And that's what that, that's where I think that there's a real, there's a real disconnect from people who, will go along with that that someone will say to them if you do this you can save mankind like i just have my i'm responsible for my children there's no way that the little i can do can save all of mankind i can only help a small you know to to a small degree my own family my own community but the entire mankind i mean it's so stupid to say that to somebody for them to believe it i think you know that's what I just have a hard time understanding. And even Leah says that in her special, like, well, I did believe I was saving mankind. I'm like, but you sound crazy saying that. Because it, it is crazy. It is so crazy. It's also very narcissistic. I mean, most cults are very narcissistic. They think that they, and, and religions can be too. You know, I'll put that out there. And I, I don't have, I'm not dissing religions, but when you get into that real closed off mentality that I have the right answer, everyone else is wrong, it's my way is right, and I will save you if you listen, you just become the batshit crazy person on the corner, you know? It's just, it just is what it is. Or you become Tom Cruise, you know, or John Travolta. Speaking of, I want to do a quick Would You Rather Scientology edition. Would you be willing to do that with me? Yeah, of course. Of okay. Course. Okay. So let's put our Scientology hats on. Would you rather be a fly on the wall of Tom Cruise's or John Travolta's most incriminating auditing session? Oh, Tom Cruise all day long. I don't find John Travolta to be very interesting. Me too. Even though, so I feel like John Travolta might have more skeletons in his closet, but I'd be more interested in Tom Cruise's. Well, what could be so, what skeletons, like? He could be, maybe he's a gay man. Like who, like who cares in the year 2018? I'm so like, what could they possibly have on you? The only thing you could have on you is if you like murdered someone. And I just don't think the the star of Saturday Night Fever is capable of all of that. <laughs> That's true. Okay. And he needs to, like someone needs to sit him down and it could be me, could be Olivia Newton-John and just say, none of this matters anymore. Like no one cares. Just come on out and 
leave the church. This is stupid. John Travolta could leave. I mean, Tom Cruise, I get it. They have so much shit on him. He's kind of stuck. Fine. And he's also crazy. But John Travolta, he could leave at this point. I mean, he he doesn't have anything. Like you said, he's not a huge star anymore. He's kind of a has-been. And he could just walk away. I just don't think anybody has any enough on anyone to not leave a a, a controlling cult. Like, I think that they've convinced themselves, like, I'm going to ruin mankind. It's just like, no one cares. I don't know. It's just crazy to me. I just feel like (laughs) the time that you waste reading all those stupid Scientology manuals, and then you read them all and you realize that they make you go back and read the first one again. I mean... Oh my God! And by the way, when I left the church in um, in, in Philadelphia, they le- they wanted me to pay fifteen dollars for a Dianetics book, and that that just shows you like what the kind of kid I was then. I said, "Why would I pay for a book? I'm an Episcopalian. I can go to church and read a hymnal for free. Why would I pay a book? And this doesn't look like a church book. This looks like something I could find at the Barnes and Noble or whatever the equivalent was in them that day. So I'm." I mean, it's just nonsense. I just, like, I get so frustrated with people. It's all built on a lie, basically. It's So the, the group my parents were in was called the COBU, the Church of Bible Understanding, and it was founded in the 70s, started as the Forever Family. The guy who ran it kept the group going for many, many, many years, well after my family left. They weren't in it that long. And they were in it tor- toward the beginning before things got really crazy. He made so much money off the backs of these teenagers who basically joined because they were kind of lost looking for a family. He worked them like dogs and grew this floor refinishing company or carpet and carpet cleaning business in Manhattan and outsold and out. He was he was basically the best competitor in the whole tri-state area because he didn't pay his workers anything he paid all of the kobu members maybe like 10 bucks a week just for living expenses that was it we all live together in these rat infested lofts in the bowery district he today owns like four private planes lives on this huge compound in florida and he does and he was preaching the whole time like humility you know you shouldn't ever want you know things of this world, reject the secular. And it's just like that documentary that you and I just talked about, the Rajneesh or the sannyasins who worship that Rajneesh guy and every cult, every cult. The interesting thing about Scientology is they flaunt their wealth. Usually the cult leader is trying to play it off like they're humble. But in Scientology, they're all like, yeah, we live in mansions and we're all about money. Like they don't even try to pretend that they're not about money, which floors me. I get, and you know, I hope your parents weren't listening to this one because I don't want to offend them, but I do get frustrated when I hear about stuff like this. And I, I, I get angry at the people who have children and they subject their children to this because yeah. your first responsibility as a parent is to protect your children and to live in a loft when your leader is flying off on a private jet yep. is despicable. I know it is despicable and it's, I think it is a testament to what ends up making people leave in my parents' case because they didn't really know that at the beginning. I mean, it's like when the truth starts coming to light, the longer you stay in something, the more mind control it is, the more people, you know, the, the leader's convincing you of something like he bought. So for instance, the first plane he ever purchased was with the funds of all of these the slave labor working for him, my dad included, who cleaned carpets day to night. And he said it was for a mission in Haiti. He ended up, my mom ended up flying to Haiti for one of these mission trips. And it was just a total disaster. And right after that, we left this Kobu. We left the cult, which was great. So that was kind of like the turning point for her. But he would always justify these purchases. Like, this is what we need. This is our outreach. And it's like, no, it's actually just for you. And that every cult leader has that in common. They have an answer for you. And then the real answer is underneath that. So this is David Miscavige, I think, is a different breed of cult leader in a way because he doesn't even try to answer things. It's like he looks at the public and he looks at the press and he says, I'm not talking to you and you're all liars. It's like he doesn't even try to appease anyone, which is I don't know if that's scarier or less scary. I don't and know. They never, and they never had children because they're Sea Org, correct? Yeah, they never had children. Think uh, that's at least that's a good thing. Yeah. Do you think he's capable of murder? Do you, like, do you think he has murdered someone at this point? I don't think he has, but maybe he's 
thwarted other people. And I, I, who knows? I, I feel like these people are really capable of anything. I, I think power is a scary thing. And I'm not just saying Scientologists, but or the leader of it. I think any of these groups could be people in government, could be people who run companies. Yeah. That when people have an incredible amount of wealth and power, that really crazy stuff happens. And I just, I wish that people would be more mindful of that when they go into business with somebody or they go to an, a service on a, you know, during the week or they decide to join a club that, you know, you have to ask yourself, constantly ask yourself, how do my set of values line up with this other person? And that could be the person that you meet at a, you know, pool hall. How do my values match up with this person's? And yeah. if there's a big disparity in it, you got to turn around and walk away. I couldn't agree with that more. That is totally 100% true. That's good advice. Okay, so back to this would you rather. We'll do two more quick ones. Would you rather read Katie Holmes or Nicole Kidman's eventual autobiographical tell-all? Well, I would rather read Katie Holmes because, as I mentioned, my friend helped write the tell-all of Andrew Morton's book. So I feel like I know a lot of inside info about the Nicole Kidman years, but I don't know enough about Katie Holmes, and I'm really interested in what happened with her brother and her father and how they were able to collaborate with the attorney yeah. and use the bat phone for her to escape and have an apartment and to leave them right after that trip to Iceland. I would like to know more information. I want to know if she's a stealth fighter or if she uh, just had the right people in her corner. She was like a ninja. That was in the, the night. craziest thing ever. That was amazing. Yeah. I, I agree. I would rather read Katie Holmes because I feel like that was so much more dramatic, the end story. Mm -hmm. it, it could be a movie. I want to read her version because, well, I, I would love to, if one of these women or both of these women have got to write a book when Tom Cruise dies. I hope they outlive him and I hope they get to write these books. Nicole Kidman, though, I'm fascinated with because she was declared the suppressive person. I mean, I guess Katie has been too for so long and then had to stay in the spotlight alongside of him. You know, Katie isn't at that same level. And I don't know. I just find that fascinating how she managed to do that. Well, I think it would be more interesting too, because the most of their, his relationship with Nicole, he had not been with the church after Mimi Rogers. He sort of went away for, he left the church for a little while and that was the whole thing was they wanted to get him back in because they knew he would be such a valuable spokesperson. So in the last couple of years of their relationship, he there the the church had done a full court press to get him back. So I think if you were reading Nicole's book, it would only be the end of the book that she would really get into it. Whereas Katie Holmes' entire relationship was consumed by That's true. What was going on. And I would love to read the chapters about the wedding. God, if I ever had the chance to ask Jenny about that, I would love to because I did hear, I knew a person that was connected to um, like a friend of a friend, whatever, that had been at the wedding and had said that everybody was who was not affiliated with the church was looking at each other during a ceremony like, is this weird or what? So I would love to really know inside. I would too. And I actually, I'm so glad you reminded me of this because I texted Jenny just last night because I knew you and I were going to be talking about this today. And I said, tell me what you can about that moment at the wedding where Leah basically confronted David Miscavige because she was up close and personal for the whole thing. She was there with yeah. Jim Carrey. And I said, was it as weird as Leah claims it was? And she said, weirder. And I'm quoting her right now. She might she might as well have said, where's the body buried? Because that's what he heard. And I said, mm. oh, my God, he scares me. I think she's dead. And, and I said, thanks for the intel. And she said, no doubt. So I was like, what? She, so she thinks that he that she's dead. I think she thinks she's dead. Yeah. But but that was after I, I said, uh, you know, it might have just been like a text like, oh, yeah, he's scary. No doubt. She's dead. I don't know if she really thinks that. I don't want to put words in her mouth. But she says she does confirm being present at that moment that it was just as batshit crazy as Leah claims it was, that he was like, he freaked out. I mean, we all know then Leah's story that that was basically what led her to leave the church because she got so hated on and she had to go through such intense auditing after that. And they were just freaking out at her for asking where's Shelly. Now, if Shelly was just being held hostage somewhere, why would they flip out so badly? 
I think just, I think for them, anything that you ask that's off kilt, I mean, it's a snitch organization. So anything you do, you snitch on the other. So that in their levels of, um, you know, acting against authority, that's high ranking. I mean, if you think like I, I, this person, you know, was, had an angry tone with me is like a four on the scale. Can you imagine what's asking Where's your wife? Because remember, the problem was that Leah thought that he was being flirty with another woman. He was basically there with another woman. And so she was like, well, why? Where's your wife? Right. So that's like a guy having an affair. Imagine going up to him at a wedding and you're right. like flirting with another woman. Like, where's your wife? That would piss the shit out of the man having the affair. Totally. And then let's remember, it's Tom Cruise's wedding, the god of Scientology. You know, that's who they really worship. It's so weird. I know. It's so weird. Okay. Last question. Would you rather be trapped in a Scientology hostage camp for one day or be trapped on that boat in Columbia with the real Housewives of New York? Oh, the Housewives all day long. No doubt about it. I mean, I would like that and I I don't feel like that would be torturous at all. I mean, I hate boats and I get, you know, motion sickness, but that's not torture. But being, I just don't like being around people that are brainwashed. It's so annoying. (laughs) It would be very annoying to be around people who are brainwashed, but I think it'd be even more annoying to be tortured. Yeah, but I don't know. I feel like I've had almost five kids. Like, I've been through labor. I mean, I could power through it. (laughs) I don't know, right? That's true. Oh, wait, I had another one. I got to ask you one more. Would you rather sign a billion-year contract with the Sea Org or be Cody Brown's newest sister wife and outlive them all? Well, I'm glad you brought this up. I thought about this last night when I was watching. I thought of you and thought, this is my example of how dumb people are. Like, <laughs> the, sign that dumb piece of paper, like a billion-dollar contract. Like, you you can't even get out of – you can easily get out of, like, a, a, a fit – like, an Equinox gym membership. Right. Like, you're really going to – what, are you going to take that to your lawyer? Oh, you know what? I'm really screwed because I signed this billion-year contract. Like, what? Like, it's real. Look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself where it all went wrong, you dumbass. Like, this is why I get pissed at people. I'm like, really? Okay, moron. I know. So then Cody Brown's family is a little more toward the normal end of the scale? Or what do you think? Here's the thing about being a sister wife. Uh, You're not having to – you don't have to have to – you do not have to have sex with this guy seven days a week. True. And you know what? He's probably, unless he's on Viagra, which the young ones probably are, you know, you probably have to, you know, nub one out like two days a week at most. And I don't feel like he's got the sex drive anymore. So I bet he's only having sex maybe only on the days he's with Robin. So if you're like a Janelle, I mean, he's not touching her. I mean, they probably high five each other. Maybe I bet you they watch like a, like a, they probably watch like reruns of some stupid sitcom, maybe with each other. I don't feel like they sleep in the same room. So I'm like, is it that bad? I don't know. Uh, the only the worst part about being a sister wife with him would be having to look at his greasy hair. Yeah. And having to deal with the other women. I feel like the worst part about being a sister wife is the sister wives. You know, like it's not necessarily the dude because you're right. You don't have to see them that much. They just kind of pass through your life. They're in and out. But you have to deal with all of these women and all of their children all day, every day. Yeah. You know, can I tell you something? The the brown sister wives, I feel like I could get along with all of them independently, maybe even as a group. I feel like, uh, you know, I could hang. Like I'd find something to talk about. Some of their kids might be annoying. Like, I don't know if I'd really like Aspen. I find her to be really self-righteous. <laughs> And McKelty gets on my last nerve. And Maddie seems okay. Her husband seems way more enjoyable. But they did name their son Axel. So we could have some issues. But it's the other polygamous shows where I feel like I hate the wives. But the brown wives, they don't seem that bad. Like I feel like, and also they drink alcohol. So you know, they're like not totally brainwashed. Like Mary definitely has some wine. Janelle definitely has wine. Robin, I bet she drinks a beer every here and now. I mean, they could be kind of fun. And they did that stupid karaoke dance. So they could like you could take them somewhere and they could have a good laugh. But like, let's say you're three wives uh, or three wives of one husband, the new show on TLC where the people who live in Rock Ridge yet. Yeah, I heard about it. I mean, they have no fun. They are not fun at all. They wear the dumb braids, the dumb outfits. They all, like, touch him all the time. First of all, if your husband's name is Enoch, chances are he's not too smart. He's from Children of the Corn also. 
Right. I mean, this guy, why are you losing your marbles over this one? Because he's got three brain cells. His penis is probably minuscule. His terrible fashion sense. So if I were to be subjected to that community, it would be a different story. But the Browns live in like not Nevada. I mean, they're not that far from Vegas. It's probably not that bad. So you would, so no billion year contract for you, Cody Brown's newest sister wife all the way. I mean, they live in their houses are pretty nice, live in a cul-de-sac. <laughs> they're probably close to a place where they, they sell tacos. It's not that bad. That's true. And with someone like Enoch, though, it sounds like you might get your hands on some Scrapple because that is an Amish name if I've ever heard one. I know it is. It is an Amish name, but they live in Utah. And they also said uh, that they will never listen to a woman in an authoritative position. So in the marriage, in a position like as mayor, they refuse to do that. The Amish are basically like Quakers. They believe in like, love, love, love. The only problem with the Amish is the inbreeding. The inbreeding, and man, they tear up the roads with those buggies. Can I get a witness? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> they tear but up got, the roads. But they're peaceful people. They I are. think that they, you know, I, there are issues, you know, within, you know, they sort of have their own um, governmental system, which is obviously pretty skewed to the uh, patriarch. Yeah. My mom, fun fact, my mom used to tell me, and I don't know if this is true, but I, I, believed it at the time she said that amish people keep their money under their mattresses they don't believe in banks they don't believe in banks i don't know if they keep them under their mattresses but they don't believe in banks i i've heard that exact same thing yeah and i i do think the amish have something in common with scientologists though because they have the original policy of disconnection but it's called shunning oh that's right yeah. that's right and they've got rum spring up but which is they by do. the way at least they give them a year to try it out for a spin. Most of them yeah. go back, but at least you can go out. You can like get a hooker, drink a couple of beers and it's okay. Yeah. You can dip, dabble in the meth for a little bit and then come back. The, the Amish love their crystal meth, Kate. I mean, they go And you know who, they you know who else they like? They like vanilla ice. Remember that reality show? <laughs> yes. Yes. Why, you know, we need to bring back some of these reality shows, these amazing ones. When you were talking about the wives, the sister wives situations that are just the shittiest ever, I could not help thinking of that show. I covered it on reality T called My Five Wives. I love that one because they openly hated each other. Openly. Openly. It was amazing. They were like, they just were filled with loathing for one another. And I was like, this is the real deal right here. And I, I and Brady was attractive, but he had a receding hairline. And he was super creepy. Remember how he built his man cave or his man shed to get away from his wives? And it's like, dude, you married five people and you never thought maybe that would be overwhelming. That's another case where I didn't like the children. I didn't like most of the wives, but I really didn't like their kids. I felt like a couple of them were all right. They were like, <laughs> I'm getting, I'm blowing this taco stand. But some of them were a little bit annoying. I don't they know. They were. They were. Oh, I love that show, though. Amazing. Well, Kate, tell everyone where they can find you as if they don't already know, but tell them again. So, oh, I'm sure there are plenty of people who have never even heard of me and probably (laughs) are like, I never want to hear this woman's goddamn voice again. But listen, you want a good time. I have a show called Reality Life with Kate Casey. You can find it anywhere where you listen to podcasts. And I've got a really fun Facebook page. You type in Reality Life with Kate Casey in the search bar. There are lots of people, including Aaron, who are really smart it's not a bunch of jackasses. I will say this. It's like intellectual people who are really funny, clever yes. people. Um, I'm on Twitter at KKC. I like to tweet during shows. Uh, my Instagram is at KKCCA. I often imitate celebrity pictures. Like if you're looking at Kim Kardashian's stupid outfit and you're like, who would wear that nonsense? Well, I will put it on and juxtaposition my photo, a mother of almost five with Kim's. So it's a good time. Um, other than, otherwise you could probably find me at the CVS, not in the sanitary napkin aisle, but probably where the vitamins are. <laughs> That's awesome. Kate, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I love talking to you. Finally. I know BFFs. Forever. Yay. We'll talk again. Okay. Thank you so much. I want to thank Kate for coming on the podcast today. I had a blast talking to her and next time we are going to dive into reality TV. Although talking about cults is something I could do all day, every day, as you guys know. I won't overwhelm you with that in the coming weeks. I mentioned on an earlier podcast that I will be revamping things beginning in April. 
I will also be gone for two weeks, last week in March, first week in April, but this podcast and one more will be coming out while I am gone, so enjoy these and then look for bonus content on Patreon and even more content, more free content coming to you in April. We are going to have so much fun because Real Housewives of New York is coming back. Jersey Shore is going to be on, and I feel it in my bones that 90 Day Fiance will be premiering any week now. I mean, it has to, right? It has to come back soon. We have waited long enough. Until we meet again, follow me at Erin Leah Martin on Twitter and Instagram. Join the Pink Shade with Erin Martin Facebook group. Catch me on Jenny McCarthy, Sirius XM Channel 109. You can read my recaps on realitytea.com and 22 Words. And if you're liking the podcast, I would so appreciate a five-star review from you on iTunes. It helps spread the word and spread the love. And until next time, I will see you guys in reality. is Acast Recommends. Every week we pick one of our favorite shows and this is one we think you're going to love. Hey Vanessa. Hi Casper. Do you happen to like the Harry Potter books? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd say so. Me too. That's why we started a podcast called Harry Potter and the Sacred Text where we read the whole series chapter by chapter. That's right. And we've just started book seven, Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows. If you've spent your whole adult life missing English class and you love Harry Potter, then this is the podcast for you. Listen on your favorite podcast app today. Acast is home to the biggest podcast from the U.S. and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.